TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. I always enjoy bringing you the latest. This is The Scoop. It's The Scoop with Darren Dookie Wolfson from 5 Eyewitness News. And away we go on this Thursday afternoon, the 8th of October. This is Scoop Podcast episode 316. This will be a conversations only podcast. I was on the Mackie and Judd podcast earlier today for a good 30 minutes. I unveiled a bunch of different notes on the local sports teams, some scoops. Hopefully you view them as scoops. So I will point you in that direction for what I normally do here to open the podcast, empty out my figurative notebook. I did that earlier. It's beautiful outside. The older son wants to get some swings in. He's got two big games on Sunday, one against Blaine, one against Monticello. We are the road team, Golden Valley, the road team. So he wants to get some extra swings in before practice tonight. So I'm trying to get out of here in a timely manner. So this will be conversations only. I begin with Randy Mueller, former NFL general manager. Who did he run? He ran the Saints front office. He ran the Dolphins front office. He was the 2000 NFL executive of the year. He was high up in the Chargers front office at one point. He was high up in the Seahawks front office at one point. Former ESPN analyst. He is now a consultant. Plus, he is omnipresent when it comes to media. He's featured in a number of publications, including now the Scoop podcast. Here is my conversation from earlier today on the Vikings with GM and other NFL topics. Former GM, that is. Randy Mueller. Randy, let me start with a big picture look at the NFC, but how it relates to the team I cover on a daily basis, the Vikings. So as I size up the NFC, to me, like I feel definitive about these teams being better than the Vikings. New Orleans, a team, a franchise you know well. Tampa, three teams in the NFC West. You'd have San Francisco, Seattle, the Rams, certainly Green Bay. Then after that, I'm not sure, like maybe Chicago, maybe Carolina, maybe Arizona, but I don't know if I can sit here and say definitively those teams are better than the Vikings. Then I look at the NFC East, I look at Detroit, I look at Atlanta, I think the Vikings are better than those teams. I'm just curious, how do you size up the NFC? Yeah, you know what, I don't see it much different, to be honest with you. I think the Packers are the class of the group, to be honest with you, I think. That's probably where Minnesota is going to find their biggest competition. I do think when you get to that second group of teams, like you mentioned, I then think it's about matchups and individually, how does that team match up and stack up uh, roster wise, scheme wise against those other teams. And that's what we'll find out as this season plays out. I do think the Vikings have seen a little bit of that already this year and their matchups haven't been ideal for them. You're talking about the Colts who kind of ran the ball down their throat, the Titans who ran the ball at them pretty good. And the matchup against the Texans was, was a better suited matchup for them. It was more kind of touch football where they're at right now. So it is about schemes. It is about coaching and, and it is about matchups. It is weird here. We're so used to Mike Zimmer and his teams playing such good defense, in particular third down defense, but being solid against the run, solid against the pass. Like in years past, Randy, it was always if the Vikings offense found a way to get to 21, merely 21 points, the Vikings record was absurd. Now at this point, it looks like the Vikings offense needs to get to 31. We're just not used to to the Vikings defense playing like this. Well, the amount of changes that the Vikings made in the offseason, they're going to take some time to, to reflect themselves, that's for sure. You know, defensively, I thought their first few weeks out, they played really vanilla. And maybe that's because of the new secondary. Maybe that's because of the, the changes that have been made. I didn't see normal Mike Zimmer uh, schemes on third downs with pressure packages and that stuff. We saw some of that last week in, in, against the uh, uh, Texans. We saw some Mike Zimmer schemes on third down. We saw a little more blitzing, in my opinion. But I think the defense itself is a work in progress. I didn't see a roster when I looked at these guys on tape that really fits with what Mike wants to do. So there's going to be a period of adjustment, no question. Hopefully for Vikings fans, it happens sooner than later. How well do you know Mike Zimmer, Randy? And I mean, when ranking, you know, the top head coaches in the league, would you put him like top 10? Yeah, I definitely know Mike Zimmer well. I've known him since his days at Washington State when I used to visit there uh, with the Seahawks, you know, years ago. Um, I think he's an excellent 
coach. I think he's proved that he's an excellent coach. He's obviously a no-nonsense uh, uh, defensive schemer, and I think he should be in the top 10 without a doubt, as evidenced by the contract extension he got in the offseason, along with Rick Spielman. I think those guys are both good at what they do. I just think that the learning curve with this new roster is going to take a little time. I don't know how much time they're going to have because the Packers are running away with everything. But in the expanded playoffs the NFL has this year, there's still wild card spots that are going to be open. And I would look for the Vikings to, to get in that mix at some point. The front office trickles down from Rick. I mean, you think about George Payton, like George, George, I mean, if he wanted to be Randy, you probably know this better than I do. But if, if George wanted to be a general manager, he'd have that job with, with some franchise right now, the Jets, somebody, yeah. But he's turned down numerous opportunities over the years. Then Rob Brzezinski has been here forever as, as the right. capologist. So, I mean, that threesome is pretty darn solid. Yeah, no question. There's continuity there. And I think organizational structure does need to start with continuity. But you've got to make sure you have the right guys at the top as well. No matter, Some teams have, have the same guys at the top for 20 years and can't win. So I think in, in Minnesota's case, they're lucky to have George or lucky to have Rick. Hey, I went to Miami when Rick left. So I, I know the kind of job Rick can do. George worked with me and for me for a couple of years in, in Miami. So I'm partial to these guys. I think they do a good job. You're right. George is, is kind of comfort in his own surroundings there and has uh, neglected to take the next leap. Maybe that's coming somewhere down the road. But I do think the Vikings are in good hands at, at the top with all those guys, including Coach Zimmer. You mentioned that it comes down to specific matchups. Size up the specific matchup on Sunday night football, Vikings at Seattle. Yeah, that's going to be a hard one. Although I will say this, the Seahawks, you know, home field advantage hasn't been what it has been in the past. Obviously, you're going up against uh, an MVP candidate in Russell Wilson, and, and they have found a way in Seattle to kind of turn him loose. Um, their defense has been a little suspect too, though. Uh, so really, it comes down to me, it may be a little bit of a score fest. Can Kirk Cousins keep up at all with uh, Russell Wilson? I, I think Seattle has a history of playing good in big games. I think they will view this as a big game without a doubt. They're not going to look at the Vikings record and say this is uh, anything but a giant step. And it's an NF NFC step too. The tiebreakers come to effect. These two teams have had a little history. They've played each other. I think it'll be fun to watch and it'll be a good matchup on Sunday. On Cousins, like what's your overall thoughts on, on Kirk? Yeah, I would say this. I'm, I'm okay with his job. I understand him more as in my opinion, a caretaker of the offense. I think they've got to run the ball, which they are doing. I mean, you're going to see good and bad with him. You're going to see some limited throws. Um, he, he's got to have a clean pocket. When he doesn't have a clean pocket, things kind of get off schedule and off timing in their offense. But it all starts with the running game. And, and I know Gary Kubiak wants to run the ball. So that's the best news and best protection for a guy like Kirk Cousins. On the running game, on Dalvin Cook, what's your philosophy on on salary allocation like the Vikings are paying Dalvin really good money but you're right yeah. it's a run first offense a lot of offenses are pass first here with Gary the way the Vikings run things it's a run first offense so Dalvin I mean to me he's the face of that offense they go as Dalvin goes but a lot of people say you don't pay a running back a lot of money then they pay both safeties a lot of money Anthony Harris unrestricted free agent in March but you're paying two safeties a lot of money you're paying two linebackers Kendricks and Barr a lot yeah. of money what's your overall philosophy on how you allocate money. I think it's easy to say in a, in a vacuum that we're not going to pay safeties or we're not going to pay running backs. But here's my philosophy. I want to keep as many good players as I can. I think there's enough money in the spread it around. Um, keeping good players is underrated in this world. Te teams sometimes want to take over or, or make changes and get their own guys in there and, and get guys under the cap in their own fashion. But I don't see it that way. I, I think you can make a case that they wish they had Stephon Diggs back. You know, what if you had Diggs and these other guys? I think I'm for keeping good players and adding to them. So I think there's a fine line there. I don't know that they went into the offseason thinking they were going to have to pay Davin Cook, but he, he, he has proved that he's worth it. They obviously drafted another running back, the kid from Boise, a couple of years ago. So they, they're, they're drafting protection there, gives them some options. So I think even though they signed Davin Cook, to what I would say people consider long-term, I think those running back deals are really two, three-year deals at the most. So I think he's going to be paid well. They ought to be able to get their money's worth out of him, and I think he'll be productive for the next two or three years. Beyond that, I wouldn't worry about it. You're right. I mean, the way Rob Brzezinski structures those contracts, too. I mean, if you look at the Dalvin contract, I mean, if they want to, they can get out of it after, right. after a few years. So, yeah, I mean, 
It looks like a five-year deal, but it's it's yeah. really not a five-year deal. I'm sure Buffalo loves Stephon Diggs. A lot of Vikings fans, Randy, are missing Stephon Diggs, but sure. they did take Justin Jefferson with the pick they yes. got from Buffalo. What were your thoughts on Jefferson pre-draft and after watching him in particular the last two weeks? What are your right. thoughts on Jefferson now? Well, it's always a little bit risky taking receivers in the first round and then considering them as part of the core early on. Seems to me like receivers do need a little learning curve. They struggle a little bit with man coverage. They struggle getting off press. But the thing about Justin is he's gotten off the ball well. He's made catches when he's covered. The physical part of the NFL usually bothers young receivers. It doesn't seem to have bothered him at all. He, he doesn't uh, shy from incidental contact, and he's been a good security blanket for them. Obviously, it's still Thielen's offensive from a receiver standpoint. He's the guy Cousins looks at most, but I think they've done a good job uh, getting use out of Jefferson early on. Does it surprise you that Philadelphia, and it's early, I mean, we really can't truly evaluate this for a few years, but, but Philadelphia passes on Jefferson, ends up with Jalen Rieger, so they go wide receiver, but right. passed on Jefferson. Do you think Philadelphia will end up regretting that in a couple of years? Well, time will tell. That's why they say Baskin Robbins has 31 flavors, right? When we walk in, we get to pick the one we like. So they, their evaluation is done a different way. Who knows their criteria? Um, their schemes are a little different. So I think the key is to find the right player that fits your scheme. And I guess you'd probably think both of those teams did that. Time will tell how it works out. Yeah, and certainly Rieger's a, a completely different player, stretch the field. I mean, so yeah, Philadelphia might have been looking for something completely different. And I think when healthy, Rieger yes. certainly – he certainly has a chance. Overall, what what do you think Minnesota's ceiling is? They're the second youngest team in the NFC. So in many ways, maybe it's not a rebuild. Maybe it's more sort of a reload. But but this, in many ways, could be a transition year. Yes. What do you think their ceiling is? Well, I think you're probably right. I think the amount of change that they've had, you're going to have to give them some time to settle in with their new people. Um, I think their ceiling is probably at the end, and, and you can probably say this for the last couple of years, their ceiling is as far as Kirk Cousins can take them. Eventually, it's going to come back to that. He's going to have to be the guy pulling the trigger, making plays from the pocket for them to get any further than they've gotten so far. You can move these complementary parts around, but as you see around the league, it's a quarterback-driven league, so they're going to have to get top-quality play from him. I don't think the days of uh, protecting your quarterback from, from being able to make plays or from screwing things up is really going to get you to the Super Bowl, and that's the bottom line. So Kurt's going to definitely have to step up play at a high level for more than a week or two at a time. We'll see how that goes. I'm sure this won't come as a surprise to you, but but Kirk is as polarizing as as any athlete here in the Twin Cities. Like at the end of that Houston game last Sunday, Randy, and I get it, Twitter's not the, the best source <laughs> for, for, for reaction, especially emotional instant reaction, but a lot of people were upset that Houston didn't score that touchdown on fourth down, that Houston didn't win that game, that the Vikings fans here in town are openly rooting for the Vikings to lose, Randy. Tank yeah. for Trevor, right? That's the popular hashtag that everybody wants Trevor Lawrence. And if it's not Trevor Lawrence, you have Trey Lance, who's who's a Minnesota native, grew up about an hour and a half south here of, yeah. of the Twin Cities. There's a bunch of good quarterbacks, a kid from Ohio State. Like, Vikings fans are hoping the yeah. Vikings actually lose games so they have a higher draft pick. Well, I don't know about that. That seems a little extreme to me, but I can understand it. Kurt's had a couple of weeks where you may, you might shake your head. And it seems like that same polarizing effect happened in Washington too. It's not his fault that the, he's been an A++ in the business of football. He has made a ton of money for really probably not being a top tier one quarterback per se. But at the same time, he's gotten a lot out of his skills. He's doing what he can do. It's all about options though. At some point, the Vikings are going to have to decide, is this good enough for us? You know, we'll see. Uh, the draft is one way to acquire players. There may be a free agent or two on the on the horizon this next coming year, maybe one down in Dallas. You never know how these things work out. As we sit here, Randy, at the at the quarter point, I guess what what else stands out to you as you analyze the league? Well, the biggest thing right now is the 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 uh, abnormal setup because of COVID. You know, we're starting to get all these tests coming in now. If we thought we weren't going to get this kind of uh, uh, results at some point we're kidding ourselves I don't, I don't think the competitive balance is necessarily the driving force behind what we do with all these tests you've got teams now pushing games back i think it's just going to be a fact that it's not going to be fair 
The competitive balance is not going to be fair. And we said it early last summer that the teams with the most discipline and the ones with the best leadership that allow them to navigate this curvy world of COVID are going to have just as good a chance to win it all as the most talented team. So discipline, same of the same, some of the same things we said in the summer are going to affect these teams as we go along. They're going to just have to deal with the change, the, the reschedules, the constant testing and protocol. It's just going to be part of this season. And we may not crown a champion um, that is the best team, but has as one that's navigated the, the, the road the best. Isn't the issue, though, I mean, we can talk about discipline all we want. And who knows, maybe a number of Titans players have been disciplined. But without that, that bubble-type environment, you're going home. You know, maybe your significant other, you know, has been around people. You might have kids that are in school. Yeah. Like, you could be doing everything right but you can't control at all times where your family members are going. Well, you're definitely right. It's more of a sacrifice uh, than just that on the players. That's for sure. It's a sacrifice in everybody who's in the player's life. That's a big deal. And you saw the bubbles work really for the most part with the WNBA and the NBA. Um, it's just not really feasible to do that with football. And for as long as, as they're trying to do so the feasibility of the bubble the best they could do is probably create 32 bubbles. The league has tried to do that. The teams have tried to do that. I think in the case with the Titans, you're seeing now there was some protocol that was breached. So I think if we go back and focus exactly on these protocols and how we go about our daily life, nobody said it's fair, but it's, I think it'll end up being okay in the end. And I think these COVID testing product protocols that the league put in are going to prove to be they made the right decisions. Do you think it was possible to create 32 bubble type environments? Like to me, it's so much easier with a hockey team or a basketball team, right? Just, you know, look at roster sizes, right? But yeah. like football, right? I mean, like you think about support staff, right? Like we're talking maybe what, you know, roster coaches, like maybe 150 yeah. to 170 people. Like I don't. Yeah. I don't know how feasible that was to create those those bubble type environments. No, I agree with you. The numbers uh, tend to, to make us all believe, hey, how can we make this happen? But I will say this, they've narrowed that traveling party down. They've narrowed the other people that the ancillary people around staff wise, they have a tiered system, you know, as as things go. And these these tracing bracelets to do contact tracing, all that, they've done everything they can. It really comes down to if the players want to do it or not. The, the, the thing to me that, I'm interested in is this will get their attention. The league for the first time has talked about forfeits now, and they've talked about teams not getting paid. You think the Buffalo Bills are going to be a little ticked off if they don't get paid because some guy across the country breached the protocol? I think that's going to force some, some harder decisions on players themselves, and they're going to have to decide, are we in or are we out? That's all it is to it. So, I mean, that means that the Bills and Titans need to find a way to play, right? You're right. Yeah, the Bills need to get paid. They need to yes. play that game to yep. get paid. So, I mean, I'm fascinated to see how how that particular situation plays itself out. Yeah, no doubt. When you start start taking paychecks from players, the friendships and, and the camaraderie kind of disappear quickly. And I understand it. They've got families to feed. They've got issues that they have to take care of too. And for a team that let's just say they have followed every protocol, like the Bills, if their people aren't going to get paid for a game that they had no control over. That's probably not going to sit well. So it's going to make for some animosity. We'll see how we get through it these next couple of weeks. Take us through your relationship with this, with this defensive tackle in Denver. Remind me of, of his name <laughs> and how cool of a story it is. I mean, he was cut how many different times? I mean, you had him yeah. in, in your organization. Yep. Just take us through the, the, the back story there. Well, you're talking about Mike Purcell, a kid from Wyoming who I read the other day, and I didn't know all of this, but he had been cut 10 times by six teams. I knew he had been released a lot. Um, the, the film that I saw him on was in preseason uh, when he was in San Francisco. Um, he came to us at the Salt Lake Stallions in the AAF uh, as, a, as a guy on a mission. And from the get-go, he played every play in the uh, Alliance of American Football like it was the Super Bowl. It wasn't hard to see he was a man amongst boys for the most part. Really played hard, committed hard, and got an opportunity in Denver. John Elway saw something he liked. I'll say this, defensive linemen like that are really hard to find. Uh, and, and he dominated in our league. Obviously, he's still doing well in Denver. Um, you, you just root for guys like this. Great character, really hard worker. Um, fans should take note that if, you, if your dream is there and if you really can commit your whole life to it, 
you'd be surprised what you can do. And Mike has done that. He's been a testament to, to a lot of people that have been fringe NFL talent. Now he gets paid uh, $14.8 million over the next three years. So God bless him. I'm happy for him. So that deal just came together in the last few days. I mean, that's the yeah. contract he signed, huh? Yep. It was a three-year deal. I think I read where it's 6.8 guaranteed. Um, that 6.8 million guaranteed in his pockets, a little more than the 50 grand he was making in the Alliance of American football. So I texted him, he did the deal just to tell him how happy I was for him. And kids sound ecstatic and he's not a kid. He's a grown man with a family. Um, one of my favorites and I'm happy for him. That's fantastic. That's a great story of, of perseverance. I'll leave you after this, Randy. Who, who is the best team in the AFC? Is it as simple as Kansas city or, or is it Baltimore or somebody else? Well, I think Kansas City to this point has proved that they can match up with anybody. They can play a couple different kinds of styles. They can throw it all over the lot in a seven-on-seven -seven game, or they can run it down your throat with the young rookie running back. So I think the thing that doesn't get enough uh, run from the Chiefs is their defense. Their defense has played really good this year for the most part. So I do think Kansas City is the best team in the NFC. Right now, if I was picking teams, it'd be probably Green Bay and Kansas City to make it to the Super Bowl. But that's after the quarter poll, right? We got a long ways to go. A lot of football to be played, a lot of COVID to be navigated. So we will see. Randy, thank you for doing this. Hopefully we can do it again, maybe at the halfway point. Anytime, Darren. Thank you. Former NFL general manager Randy Mueller analyzing the Vikings and the league as a whole as we're at the quarter point of the season. Four games down, 12 to go before the postseason. All right, let me now transition to my conversation from earlier today with Marco Rossi's coach last year with Ottawa, his juniors coach, Andre Torini. Andre Torini, former NHL assistant coach. He knows what it takes to play in the National Hockey League. He loves his guy Rossi. I get it. There's an obvious bias because he coached Marco Rossi, but he is convinced Marco Rossi can help the Wild as soon as next season, which is expected to begin sometime in January. Here's my conversation with Marco Rossi's coach from Ottawa, Andre Torini, talking about the Wilds' first-round pick the other night. Coach, just take us through. I mean, you know Marco as well as anyone. Take us through. Take the Wild fan base that will listen, that will watch this. Take us through how special a player he is. Uh, he's a really special player. I think it's uh, it was a special year at the draft. I think a guy like Marco, uh, been drafted ninth overall, could have been or uh, could have been in any other year, uh, top three overall or top five for sure. Um, I think the difference this year between the fourth overall and the tenth overall is really ten. I think uh, Marco is a great fit in many. I think. Uh, they are, they're looking at the center position, and Marco is a super smart player. Uh, he is uh, he has the brain of a uh, Ryan O'Reilly, if you if you want Ryan O'Reilly, Paul Stashney is that kind of smart. He's really creative, offensively can make plays, but he has all around game really special as well. And when, when you think of player like I said, O'Reilly or Paul Stashney, okay, they're good offensively, they're great, but they're even better defensively. So that's Marco, I think. I talk a lot about Marco um, throughout the year, saying he's probably uh, the most ready, the, the players closest to the NHL. His, his, uh, his game is really mature. His positioning is really good. His two-way game is really good. Um, he's a player the coach will be able to rely on and trust. So that's uh, all good thing for the Wild, the Wild and their fans. And you can use him penalty kill, power play, both. Both areas of special teams. Uh, absolutely, he's a, he's a really good defender. Uh, and all my years in junior uh, and even in NHL, having a center like that who's super reliable, who stay behind the puck, who stop on loose pucks, who always on the right side of his opponent, and always on top of the puck is at the, the young age. It's really special. So Marco has those those attributes. So how long, Coach, have, have you been doing this? I know that you coached in the NHL for, for a period. I mean, of yeah. all the, the special players you've been around, I mean, Marco's been, right there near the top. Yeah, I've been pretty lucky. I coached Canada at the World Junior. It will be my fifth time this year. Coach at the U18. I coach a number of players. And like I said, NHL, Nate McKinnon, and then Coach Kucherov in junior. And I coach a, a player like Taylor Hall, Matthew 
Duchesne, and I have a bunch of those like that. So Nico Escher was another guy I coached, uh, went first overall, when I, and uh, he was really reliable as well defensively, but Marco is up there. How about as a person? And, and it looks like my internet connection is going in and out, but I can still hear you. How about? In a, oh, here we go. We're back. I lost you there for a sec. I still have okay. you. Do you have me okay? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so how about the person that Marco is? You talk about the special player he is, but what about yeah. the person he is? Marco is a, is a he's a great kid, but it's introvert. You know, he's not a guy who will go on your show and he will, he will not steal your job. You, you're safe. <laughs> you're safe on that. Marco is a, an introvert. He's a he's a good teammate smile every day but he, he he's a guy of a not a lot of words in the sense of he's uh he loves hockey he's passionate about ho hockey he loves his country his family and it's about it it's not the kind of guy you will sit with and start to talk about cars and the nfl football that that won't work that's it will be a short discussion so he's really driven by hockey and his family like i said he loves his country the history of his country it's cool to talk with him about that but uh, he's not the loud talker. Eh? That's what I said to everybody. He will be a leader by his action because he's so driven and hardworking guy on and off the ice. And his life is super structured. Super, uh, he, um, he's really focusing on hockey and he, he's really mature in that way. So uh, that's, that's cool. But he's not the guy who will be a center of attraction in the room or will be uh, the guys who set up the... The team party nah, won't be Marco for sure. All right, so you think, Coach, you think he is good enough to help the Wild in 2021. So next season, I mean, a lot of Wild fans, as you can imagine, are envisioning him centering a line with Kevin Fiala on one side, Kirill Kaprizov on the other side. You think that's realistic as soon as next year? Well, he, he, he's as mature as he can be uh, when you come out of a junior. You know what I mean? He, you know, uh, as a junior coach, it's, I can't say I can enjoy him for one more year. That's for sure. No doubt about it. But in reality, I think Marco's game is really mature. Uh, he leads the league in the plus and minus last year. And he was on the verge of breaking a record and uh, player of the year and go on and on. So uh, his game is right up there. And it's not like sometimes you have junior player where they have all that talent, but their positioning in the eyes, their game management, their structure in their game it needs work, which is normal at 18 years old. But Marco is different. Marco's game is really mature and his positioning is good. And I don't know what exactly is the, the situation in mini and what will happen with free agent. So it's a, it's a tough, tough for me to answer that right now. But I, I said that all year. I said Marco will have a shot to play in HL next year because he played a game in the right way. He played right both sides of the puck and this coach will be able to trust him so he will earn the trust and you will earn ice time in that way marco will not help his team only by producing points he will help his team by doing a lot of other things he he was a really good face-off guy in junior nhl will be a transition for him playing against men but that's all stuff he he's competitive he works hard he's so driven he will have he will have a chance now it will be up to him I think to grab the to grab a spot in the roster, but specifically on the point. So it was 120 points in 56 games. Like how how ridiculous is that for the league that you play in for him to produce at such a high level last year? Yeah, you know that's that's impressive stats. I will give you another stats is really impressive. I don't have the, the exact stats, but we'll give you a ballpark. I think Marco produced in all the game he played, but six of them. So he has a point in every game but six of the six game. That's Marco. Every night he got you, but so consistent, he, always the same effort, always the same thing. So that that's what make him for me a guy who's close to the NHL right away. You know, uh, he has that consistency and can rely on him. And I, like I said, I coached Nico Escher when he was first overall. And the following year, as a rookie, at some point, his coach John Ains made a comment say about Nico was saying even when Nico has a bad night he still helped the team because he played good defensively and he competes so hard that's the exact same about Marco he you you won't have only good night but even on his bad night he's playing well enough to help the team 
in a certain way. So that's what I think about Marco. Does he play bigger than his size indicates? Like I watched the clips. I wouldn't yeah. know from watching the clips that he's only five foot eight. Like that's just to me a number. Absolutely. And the, he's, I think it's five foot nine, but whatever. That's he's not six foot two. That's the point. Uh, but if you look at the, the video, I'm sure you go on YouTube and you find video of Marco's training. Look the size of his core and his legs, his butt is he has a hockey frame, you know, it looked the, the shape of Sidney Crosby, look the shape of Marco. That's, that's a hockey player shape. He, he's built for hockey. He's have a low center of gravity and he, he has bite to his game. He, he won't get pushed around. He's, he's, he competes, you know, he, he's not the, the, the bigger, but he's not afraid of the contact and the dirty area. Look all, if you have the, is advanced stats. All these goals are scored from inside. You know, when, when you look at junior players, sometimes you have to look from where he scores his goal because in junior, you can score from shot from the top circle and the outside, and you can beat the goalie. And he, he, you're not doing that in any NHL. You want to score, you, you better to go inside. The goalie are too good. Marco is he's already going inside. It's, it's not an adjustment he will have to make in his game. He already play like that. So, yeah, you, you will see him in front of the net, screening the goalies, not afraid of the traffic, doing all those details. Uh, player learn along the way. Marco already does it. How surprised are you? I mean, you touched on it. You alluded to it a little bit. But how surprised are you that he got all the way to nine? Like in your, in your pre-draft conversations with all these front offices, were you surprised he got all the way to pick nine? Yes and no. Shock, but when I was looking the draft, I was saying seven, eight, nine, ten. Every guys who will be drafting that in those numbers, I will say it's it's criminal to have a guy sliding like that. When you think at Cole Freddy at ten overall, it's criminal. You think at Marco Rossi nine overall, it's impossible. Yeah, Jack Quinn at eight. Any other year, those guys will have been top three top five i'm i'm convinced of that it's a special draft it's i i coach marco ross and jack quinn in ottawa i coach jimmy drysdale quinton byfield alexi lafreniere with with team canada i coach two tournament against olds and raymond i coach uh, coach cole perfetti i know that group i was kind of a talking to winnipeg and i was saying they were asking me about some name. At some point, I was saying, this guy will not be there when you talk. Oh, this guy will not be there when you talk. At some point, I said, you know what? Someone will be there because there, for me, there was 10, even 11 with Askarov. And Lyndon, if you, Lyndon at 12, if he will have not been hurt, those 12 guys were special, I think. Any other year, like I said, they will have been top five. So the Wild, at nine overall, they got a guy who could have been – top three any other year in my opinion and um i think it's it's a perfect fit there because they needed a center they have a mature guys who's really close if it's not this year will be next year i'm sure and he's super serious you can build around because he will have the the professionalism of uh what what you want to build an organization around so he will have a, a really good player for a long long time if he doesn't make the wild in 2021, where would you like to see him play? Like, would it make some sense for him to play for, for the Iowa wild just to get that experience? Like where, where would it make sense for him to play if he's not in the NHL yeah. next year? It's it, not, it will be a, a tougher, longer discussion in the sense of uh, there there's rule there. Marco play in the CHL. I don't know if he can play AHL and we won't, we won't hold him back, but, not sure by the rules. Uh, yes, it will make sense to play AHL to answer your question. Uh, like I said, he's player of the year for us. Do I want him back? <laughs> Don't have to answer the, the question. We all know, but in the same time, we have a program where we, we believe in the do what's best for, for, for the our player. And I think Marco will be good for him to play pro. I think it will be is uh, there in his life, in his maturity, in, in his uh, in his uh, route. So uh, hopefully he will play for the wild. If not, 
I don't see any any problem for him to play uh, to play uh, for Tim Army down there. What about Marco on the ice, off the ice? What about Marco will surprise us? I don't know if there's any surprise. Is 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 a that's Marco. It's consistency. It's every day. It's that's what he is. I don't think he will have any surprise there. He's a he's a clock. He's super steady, and that's what he is. Coach, I greatly appreciate this. I have a sense. I mean, just the way you're talking, like we're gonna look back at this draft class, and who knows? Maybe as soon as like two years, but maybe more so three and four years and five years. Look back and probably see multiple all stars, huh? I, I, that's what I think as well. I think it's a special year. I think uh, I, I've been around for a long, long time, and uh, I, I think it's the best draft I've seen. They, they, I don't think Laugh is a McDavid, but I think he's a, he's a Lafreniere, but he's a really good player. Uh, and the top 12, top 10 for sure, top 12 will be a special draft. Anything Maybe. else we should know about Marco? You know, as as we leave you here, not really. You will like him. That's the only thing I know. <laughs> well, I mean, Wild fans need a lot of reason to be excited. I mean, you know, they're coming off a, a down year. You know, it's it's a bit of a rebuild right now. But when when looking at Marco, when looking at Kaprizov, when looking at Fiala, when looking at some of the other pieces they have, you know, I think fans yeah. are are trying to find reasons to be excited. I think Marco. Is one of those yeah. reasons. The state of hockey will love Marco. I'm sure about it. Coach, thank you so much for doing this, and I'll certainly be in touch, okay? Thank you. Perfect. Andre Torini, I'll plead ignorance. I don't know all the rules. Yeah, I know a bunch about basketball in the NFL and Major League Baseball. NHL, not so much. I defer to many others, so I'm not even quite sure what the rule is, but I'm sure that, that Coach Torini is is spot on that that it will be tough for Rossi. I don't know the exact rule, but coming from the CHL, can he play in the AHL? Bottom line, it sounds like Rossi, hopefully the Wild have a roster spot for him. He'll have to earn it, but hopefully, you know, that part of the conversation is moot, that Rossi come opening night sometime in January, maybe a little bit later than that, but likely January, hopefully Rossi is in the Wilds lineup. All right, finally here on Scoop Podcast episode 316 on this late Thursday afternoon, the 8th of October, my conversation from earlier today with Twins catcher Ryan Jeffers. So, Ryan, as we sit here and talk, it's about a week to two weeks from, from when your season ended. As you reflect upon your unbelievable journey, it was an incredible journey that, that you went through this particular year, this 60-game sprint of a season. I guess as you look back upon what, what took place in your world, I guess what, what stands out to you? Yeah, you know, going into a year like this, you really don't know what's, what's going to come about it. Um, I go, went into the year with, with not a ton of expectations or goals, just very fortunate and thankful that I had the opportunity to get on that 60-man roster and go play baseball. Um, you know, I just took it day by day from that. And, you know, obviously I watched all the, watched all the big league games. I went, I spent that summer, spent the summer camp over at Target Field, which was huge for me, being able to get comfortable and be around the guys and just really learn the pitching staff uh, a little bit more, which really helped me when I did get called up. Um, but, you know, just, just the unorthodoxness of this season was, was crazy. But, you know, as a team, as, as an individual, I think we did a really good job just persevering through all the weird stuff that had to happen and going out there and just focusing on the field when we had to. Expound upon being able to, to take part in the summer camp, the, the two and a half, three weeks of training there at, at Target Field in early to mid-July, and then even going back to, you know, February into early March before things shut down in Fort Myers, just how big a part that played in, in you being able to make the transition once you got the call up. Yeah, absolutely. It was huge for me. Um, I've always said it. I had, I had a conversation with Rocco in spring training just about kind of goals for me, and one of the biggest ones was to get comfortable with the pitching staff. Um, just to learn the guys, learn their little intricacies and learn their, their mentalities, their, what they throw, what they like to throw. Um, and, and as a catcher, that's always a big role for me and a big part of my job, you know, and be, being able to have that spring training and then have the summer camp on top of that to really dive in and to really catch those guys in, in inner squads, but more game-like situations was really big for me to be able to jump in and, and go up and really feel comfortable from day one up in the big leagues. 
take us back to that moment when the phone rang, when you were told, okay, you know, come on over from St. Paul. We need you. You need to be on the 28-man roster right now. Yeah, it was an unbelievable feeling. You know, it's it's almost such a surreal thing. You know, you get that – you wait for that call forever, and you get that call, and you're like, oh, my God, it just happened. Um, you know, there was, there, was a, there was a good amount of nerves um, driving to the field, you know, packing up. I had Because I had to pack up for a 10-day road trip that same night. I got the call at, like, 1030, and then I had to – they're like, all right, and we're going on a 10-day road trip tomorrow, so uh, – you got to pack up and get going, but uh, I it was I was nervous going to the field, kind of a little bit nervous pregame. But once that uh, once the lights clicked on and I started to get into that my my pregame prep and all that stuff, it was just another game, and it was awesome. And I suppose I mean you had success instantly. Like you got that first hit out of the way, you got that first RBI out of the way, just like that. So I presume that that once you know once that first hit happened, you know the nerves just had to leave you at that point. Absolutely. I mean, they did a, the coaches over in St. Paul had done a really good job preparing us and keeping us as prepared as they could to step into those situations and impact the game right away. Um, you know, we were, we were getting after it every day over there doing, doing everything we could to, to make an impact as soon as we get that call, you know, no one really knows when it's going to happen or, or how it's going to happen, but we were, we were prepared. And, you know, I think it showed for everybody that got that call this year. Um, Everybody was ready to jump in there. In a weird way, was it almost beneficial that that as much as I'm, I'm sure you would have loved to have family and friends, your wife, in the stands, but in a weird way, did that maybe ease the nerves that, that you were playing in an, in an empty stadium? Absolutely. My wife, me and my wife talked about it since day one, just just the feeling of of being able to go out there and play the game without any of the distractions of the fans or 40,000 people screaming at you or screaming against you, um, that that increased my ability to just get comfortable quicker. Um, I think going into the to next year and years after that, it'll, it'll ease that transition more for me because now I'm comfortable with the baseball wise. And now you're going to start throwing some fans on top of it. And, you know, it really, like you said, I would love to have 40,000 fans yelling at me, but um, it does make that transition easier. As you look at next year, I mean, is your attitude that, that nothing is guaranteed? I mean, as you can imagine, as a lot of us do the review of, of what took place and we look ahead to, to 2021, a lot of us have you penciled in as potentially the opening day catcher, maybe at worst, you know, being a one-two tandem with, with Mitch Garver that, that maybe they don't end up re-signing Alex. But it's not quite that simple. Is your attitude that, that you need to head to Fort Myers next year with the attitude of nothing is guaranteed, that you need to win a job? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the attitude I'm going to go in with every year, um, no matter what my situation is, you know, whether I'm starting catcher or the backup catcher or fighting for a spot, you know, that's, I'm always going to go in there and try and try and just really impress people with the work I've put in and, and get better year to year. There's always going to be places where I can get better, whether it be behind the plate or at the, at the plate hitting, um, you know, it's how baseball is, you know, there's ups and downs and you got to be ready for whatever situation presents itself. So like you said, whether I'm, in that lineup day one or whenever I get in there, you know, I'm going to be ready for it. Did you have a welcome to the big leagues moment? Maybe it was pregame before catching, you know, Jose Barrios, a conversation with Jose, or maybe it was a conversation that afternoon with Rocco, or was it that first time you stepped in the batter's box and saw, you know, a major league, you know, off speed pitch? Like, did you have a welcome to the big leagues moment? Not really. You know, I think, I think there was certain things, certain times during the day, whether it was, when you go and shake Rocco's hand and he kind of, I come in and he's like, Hey, you're in line of night. Like get yourself ready. You're catching Jose. And you know, it kind of clicks you're like, all right, it's, it's game time. And then as you're starting to go through the game prep, it's kind of, it's starting to get real. Like you're playing in a big league game. Um, and then hearing your, hearing your name announced for the first time walking up the plates, kind of a cool feeling that you don't really think about and expect, but like hearing your name announced and seeing yourself on the scoreboard in a big league stadium is kind of a cool thing. Where do you get the skill of, of framing as, as well as you do? We had heard about it from, from your time in the minors, but we saw it on display throughout the month of September there in late August. Like, you are an elite framer. Where does that skill set come from? Yeah, you know, after I got drafted, um, we had Tanner Swanson and MT Michael Thomas down in the minor leagues, and they really, really were on the forefront of the new age catching where really digging into how a catcher can change the game and, how beneficial framing and framing can be versus the other aspects of catching. 
Um, and we really dug in and I was, I was extremely open with Tanner and with MT just, Hey, I'm open for anything. Like let's do whatever can make me the best behind the plate. And I've always, I've always prided myself on my defense. I've always had the goal of a gold glove catcher in my, in my mind. Like that's where I want to be. I want to be the best catcher in the game. Um, you know, every year I'd go in trying to get better somewhere. Uh, you know, this year I was, it was nice to get up there and then really started to get in there and um, get into the little details once I started catching games and little intricacies here and there. And, um, you know, those two guys, Tanner and Michael Thomas, just really, really are awesome catching, catching coaches and catching coordinators and really helped me develop into the catcher I am today. Who do you view as the best defensive catcher in the game right now? That's a tough one because there's so many different quantities that you – how you can quantitative, you know. Um, you look at who can do the, all three the best. You look at the uh, Perez for the Indians. You look at um, Grandall for the White Sox. Like, those two guys are, are really good at what they do. Um, you know, I'm trying to be up in the conversation with, with guys like that. Um, and hopefully eventually be above them. Like that's, I'm never going to settle to be behind anybody. So. Take us back to the moment of your first major league home run. I mean, it took a couple at bats, but, but once you got a hold of one, I mean, it was, there was no doubt. That was a no doubt of your first major league home run. Yeah, no, it was great. Um, I had been, I'd been just smacking singles around the park. Um, you know, I'm, people, I was, I'm thinking I'm, people are gonna start thinking I'm just a little slap single guy. Um, but once I got that first big hit out of the way, uh, it felt really good to find a barrel like that. And it kind of helped me loosen, loosen up up there at the plate. And, you know, a couple more came after that and it just started flowing a little bit easier for me. I was able to relax and just get to who I am and get to the good, good spot in the plate or good spot in my swing and really put some, get some more lift on the ball and put some better swings on the ball. How hard is it to get that extra lift? I mean, it's, it's something that, that you can talk about, but to actually, you know, implement it to, to, take action in that regard. How, how challenging is that? Yeah, for me, it's, it's changes per, per person. Some people like for me, I have kind of a natural lift in my swing. Um, so I don't really ever have to work on lifting the ball. I usually more than anything, I work on staying on top of the ball um, and not getting under the ball too much. Um, so, but it changes. Some people really have to work on trying to get the ball in the air. For me, I, I kind of, it comes naturally for me. So I kind of, just stay with my path and just really work on finding the, as much barrel as I can, the highest barrel percentage and trying to put the barrel on the ball every time, no, no matter the outcome. So what will the next handful of weeks and months look like? Like do you lay low for a couple of weeks, then get right back in the gym and, and start working out? Yeah, I'm going to take, I'm going to take some time off. Um, I probably won't touch a baseball for a month or two and just and slowly start working back into it. And I'll be in the gym a lot, just, working on my body, working on my mobility, uh, working on my hips, just preparing for next year, preparing for a, a full 162 and, you know, get my mind right, ready to go and ready to go February, whenever spring training starts. So. And are you one that, that will likely get down to Fort Myers even earlier? Like, will you try to get down there, you know, maybe even mid to late January, early February to start getting some work in before the pitchers show up? Yeah, I'll probably start depending on when spring training. I'm not sure exactly when report will be, but I'll probably show up a week or two before report and just kind of get comfortable in the apartment, get comfortable around the around the the stadium and the locker room down there, just just to get myself ready to go when when that first day starts and you know all everybody's out there, the whole team's ready and you know just to get down there and get ready. On the safety protocols front, and I get it, every team had to had to go through the, the same stuff. But but how challenging was that? You mentioned that 10-day road trip that you had to pack for instantly. Like, you were in that hotel room, I'm guessing, a lot. I get it. If you wanted to go walk to Starbucks, you could. But just the process to even just go to Starbucks, you had to call somebody. It was just it, – it wasn't normalcy. It wasn't anything close to normalcy. And then, you know, as you guys got ready for the playoffs, like you're home, but you couldn't actually go to your home, even if you were living in a hotel. But other guys – who have homes here in the Twin Cities, they had to live in the hotel, right? Like, yeah, I think there I, were a lot of things that a lot of fans and, and media types just maybe didn't quite understand the challenges that you guys dealt with. Yeah, I think I think for a lot of guys, it was a big transition. For me, I haven't really seen the other side. Like, I haven't really seen a big league, a major league road trip in a normal year. Um, I think for a lot of guys, like, just talking through, like, what it normally looks like going out to dinner, hanging out with the guys a little bit more, um, it was weird for them at first. 
I think I think as a as a team, we did a really good job kind of getting comfortable and understanding what we had to do to to perform on the road um, and just really getting okay with with being uncomfortable and not the un, the non normal normalcy of this season. Um, the weird the really weird one was the was the playoff bubble. It was it was weird. I saw more people in that in the playoff bubble than I saw when I was at my apartment. Um, but like they wanted us locked down and it was, it was strange to be locked down in a hotel room in your home city. Um, but I under, I understand it from MLB's perspective. Um, and I think we treated it again, like another road trip. <laughs> I mean, do you think there's any correlation, any relation between the challenges of being in that playoff bubble and then what took place in those, in those two games against Houston? No, I mean, I don't, I just, I don't think there was anything that related from that, from being in the hotel versus that. I think, I think we just did, we showed up and didn't play the best baseball. You know, I think it just came down to, we, we didn't get our hits when we needed them. And uh, our pitchers, our pitchers showed up and Kenton, Jose, and a good amount of the relievers threw really well. Um, but offensively, we just weren't able to put enough runs on the board. Um, to give Houston credit, they, their pitchers did throw really well. Um, but you know, I think it was just, just not the baseball wasn't going our way that those two days. So what do you think Houston did? I mean, Derek Falvey told us last week, Ryan, that, that Houston took advantage of, of uh, some of the offense's weaknesses, not you specifically, but collectively, what do you think specifically Derek was alluding to when he said that? I think they did a really good job of situationally taking, taking advantage of when they got, when they got situations offensively, um, they were able to get a run or two across. Um, for the most part, they didn't have many situations. Our pitchers did a really good job keeping those situations limited, but when they did present themselves, um, they were able to scratch one or two. Um, and then as a, uh, from our offensive perspective, we weren't able to get those one or two when we had the bases loaded or situations like that. And I think, I don't know whether it's them exploiting our weaknesses or just like I said, the ways, the way the baseball game worked that day, but uh, yeah, it was tough. But looking back on it, like a good year. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when you win the Central, when you can hang another division championship banner, that That's means something, right? I mean, all but one team is going to have some sort of disappointment. But like, I think about Game Two, like it was pop up after pop up. That was so weird to see all the pop ups from you guys in that game. Yeah, we faced two guys that that threw the ball in the top of the zone. Um, really well. Um, they have really good carry to their fastballs, which naturally tends to get more pop-ups. And we we weren't able to make the adjustments as quick as we needed to that day um, to get on top of the ball and um, hit it more in line. You know, that's an adjustment that if you if we make earlier in the game, we put up a lot of runs on those two guys. Uh, we weren't able to make that adjustment. And I'm in North Carolina and they're in Los Angeles. So yeah, I mean, are you watching? I mean, are you one that, that there's disappointment and you just you want to escape the game? Or are you, like later today, will you watch game four of the Astros and A's? Absolutely. You know, I'm a baseball fan. Um, whether I'm playing or not, I still enjoy watching the game, you know, especially now that I have some familiarity with some of these players too. Um, I enjoy kind of watching it and, you know, knowing the scout report in the back of my head, looking at how the athletics are pitching some of these uh, – the the Astros hitters and stuff like that. Um, it's kind of, it's, it's cool to watch some of these games and then, and then seeing some of the, the really crazy games between the Rays and the Yankees and the Padres and the, the Dodgers. It's cool. It's cool. I'm a baseball fan through and through. So. I've got the Rays and the Dodgers meeting in the world series. What about you? I wouldn't, I, that's not a surprise. You know, I think it's going to be interesting to see who comes out of this Yankees, the Yankees uh, Rays matchup because the Yankees are, are playing really well. But, you know, it, it almost feels like the Rays are the underdog when you look and they have the, the best record in the AL the whole year. So uh, it's interesting. The Dodgers are unbelievable. They're a really good team. So I don't know if anyone's going to beat them. But I'm with you. I think the Dodgers end up winning it all. How about the camaraderie among you, Alex, Mitch? I mean, how was that dynamic when, when you got called up? It was really good. Um, they took me in really well. Um, Alex and the Alex and Garber both really just helped me through stuff. You know, they knew that I was going to play a, a, a vital role this year when they were out having to, uh, having to 
run the pitching staff while they're while they're not able to play. Um, so they really did help me and, and kind of took me under their wing and helped me through situations. I was they were super open to any questions that I had for them, whether it be about baseball, whether it be about off the field stuff, just from a rookie standpoint. Um, they're both really good. And I think I think having those two and especially having Alex, who's been around the game for so long um, and seen so much just to help me through, really helped me. Again, another thing helped me get comfortable quicker. How nasty is is made of stuff? I mean, you know, I mean, there were some games where, I mean, he was inducing a ton of swings and misses. I mean, that to me is the sign of dominance, right? If you can get the opponent to swing and miss. And yep. he certainly had a lot of swing and miss stuff throughout the year. Yeah, swing and miss is the best outcome that we can get as a, as a pitcher because um, obviously that, they're not putting the ball in play. And his stuff blends his stuff blends together really well. As a hitter, it's really hard to decipher early enough whether you're seeing fastball, changeup, or, or that slider. And he throws a lot of a lot of off speed, um, which makes his fastball, his 91, 92 play a lot harder than what that is. And his commands unbelievable. His he has he has enough a ton of feel on the mound where he can put mess with guys' timings and um, hold, holds like controls the base running game really well. Uh, he just does everything really well. And then you put all his nasty pitches on top of it. It's a really good pitcher. <laughs> There were so many different roster moves throughout the year, not just you guys, you know, across baseball, but specifically with you guys. How cool was it each time, you know, somebody that, that you got close with, presumably got close with at the alternate site there in St. Paul, came walking through that clubhouse door and, and you saw them, you know, joining you guys. Yeah, it's been really cool to to be able to play with so many, like, of these, of our guys coming up to the minors to, to kind of travel as a group. You know, it's been me, Trevor, Travis, Kirloff, Royce, like I already said, Larnick, but like all of us kind of traveling throughout the minors, playing on teams together. Um, and it's been kind of really cool to to play with them and then see them come up and, and and be able to, if they have questions, you know, being the first one up there, being able to help them through things that I, I would have wanted to know when I got called up. Um, just little intricacies. And, you know, it's cool to, cool to come, come up there and play with, play with some of your friends. How crazy was it that Alex makes his major league debut there in the postseason? And yeah, I get it, small sample size of one game, but certainly he did not look overmatched. I mean, he looks like he belongs in the majors full time. Absolutely. You know, he's one of the best hitters I've ever seen. Um, and he's going to be a, a huge, integral part of our roster for a long time. Um, you know, when you're when you're in those playoff games, you try and put your best roster out there and your best lineup. And Kirilov with him in the lineup, you know, I, we felt really good with, with him in there. And, you know, he went out there and put some good barrels on the ball and got a, got a hit. And it was cool to see that, you know, he's not a guy that's going to get overwhelmed by the moment. And he definitely, like you said, he showed that. And as close as you are with Lewis and Larnick, I mean, do you feel like that, that their games translate to the majors here pretty quick, maybe as soon as early next season? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the twin, we've had so much success the past two years as an organization and it's exciting knowing what's what's coming and what's coming up behind who's already up there now you know there's there's so much talent down there in the minors offensively and on the mound you know it's going to be exciting for the for the near future and for the for the long-term future um it's gonna be exciting is it crazy to think that that you bypassed triple a not to say that maybe you know hopefully you never have to see triple a but you don't know but is it just crazy to think that that you were able to make the jump you're not the first one but it's pretty rare double a to the majors yeah you know this year this year has been been interesting for a lot of guys a lot of guys have come up from high a and gone to the big leagues but you know it's always it's nice that i i really only played one full year in the in the minors and and i was in the majors and and contributing and able to do what i was was able to do you know i mean i think i think the minors prepared me and and i was able to to feel comfortable up there, whether I played in AAA or not. Um, and it's cool to be in that company of, like you said, a couple of people that do make that jump. So, Ryan, I appreciate you doing this. Certainly stay safe and, and we'll see you in Fort Myers. Hopefully, you know, hopefully everything returns to some sense of normalcy. I don't know if we'll ever return to, to full normalcy, but hopefully you guys do have a, a full season and you do have a, a full spring training next spring. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm not sure what it's going to look like, but, it's exciting. I'm sure there'll be some fans in the stands. So, let's hope so. I mean, what have have the Twins given you any 
any sort of indication on that? Like, is the is there a sense that spring training will start on time next February? Yeah, I mean, I don't, there's been no inter- like nothing that tells me that it won't. Um, I don't I don't think there'll be any delays or anything. I'm not sure what the whole what the safety protocols and all if they're going to still have all that stuff in place. Um, we'll see, but only time will tell. So, Ryan, thank you. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Really good guy, Twins catcher Ryan Jeffers. He should be a fixture in the Twins lineup for many years to come. A reminder, I was on with Mackie and Judd earlier today, Thursday, October 8th. I was on with them on their podcast for about 30 minutes, emptying out my figurative notebook, passed along a couple Twins items, one on Nelly Cruz, one on Jorge Polanco, plus some wild chatter, some NBA draft chatter, some Vikings chatter. So check my appearance out on Mackie and Judd's podcast from Thursday, October 8th, for notes. This was a conversations-only podcast. We are done here on this Thursday late afternoon, the 8th of October. I'm off to baseball practice. I'm off to get Droogie some swings in. Big Sunday, final Sunday of fall ball, Gopher State League fall ball, 10 under. All-star team Golden Valley, Droogie Wolfson kicking some serious tail. He's had a really good fall ball season, so I'm very proud of my older son. So I'm off to practice. Have a good one, everyone. Thanks for listening. This has been Scoop Podcast episode 316.